Oh, change, change, change. It's always place whether you want it to or if you don't want it to. Change is always taking place in your life. And um, the, the, the real issue is this. Are you in control of it? Some of it you may be. But in reality, most of it you are not. Change is taking place because things are happening in your life that a lot of times you have no control of. How many of you understand that? You don't have control of it. The boss comes down and say, you no longer have a job. You want to work, but the boss says, you don't have a job. Uh, That's not something that you can control. Nor can you deal with in many ways. So the issue really comes down that that's a change you have to be willing to surrender to. Can I get it on? Boy, come on, man. There we go. You, you have to be willing to accept the change. But before you can really accept the change, there's something else you have to accept. The truth. The truth. Change is not by law or by rules. Oftentimes when we're trying to change, we say, we won't do this again. We're trying to change. I won't go there anymore. We're trying to change. I won't be with these people anymore. You may not be with those exact people, but you go find the same character people. (laughs) You know, you're not with this one, but you go find the exact same character and behavior of people. You know, and you're making these rules unto yourself saying, I'm going to change. You cannot change by rules. Congress tries to do that all the time. That's why we got so many laws on the books today. Because law is always trying to change society or change man, not understanding the heart of man has to be changed, which is not changed by law. We have to understand that Change comes about by truth. The issue is, will we accept truth? That's the real issue. To take the facts in your life, add up the facts, and then be willing to face that truth. Now, if if you add up your facts about your life, can you really face them? See, the facts will say whether you're going in a negative direction or a positive direction. The facts will say you're going downhill or you're going uphill. The facts will say you are improving or you're not improving. And what you have to look at is the facts, the truth that is in your life, and be willing to be honest with yourself and accept the truth about yourself. Boy, that can be hard. But when you accept truth, you're just about there and willing to change. But if you choose to believe a lie, you're going to believe it. You're going to think you're better off. And you've got to ask yourself, if you're not changing, who's keeping you from changing? 
And if you are changing, are you changing for the better or for the worse? Are you improving? Are you better off or less? And that's being truthful with yourself. Why do people change? They change to adapt into something different. That's the main reason people change. That they're adapting in order that they can fit into their crowd that they run to, run, run with. They adapt that they can be into this club or this club or with this group of people or over here. They're adapting, always adapting. If you go and change jobs, you got to adapt to a whole different group of people, to a whole different group of, of rules and regulations in a co- corporation. You got to adapt. You got to make changes. Even you're going to sleep at night may change. Even the time you eat lunch may change. You may not get paid no more on a Friday or Thursday. I remember when Becca Wilcott paid on Thursday. And they used to even run around with a little buggy because they paid you cash. When I first started at Beckhart and Wilcom. And then they got smart and they started writing checks. Okay? But you had no place on that third shift to go cash your check. <laughs> the whole issue comes to that place is that change is always taking place in your life. The moment you get married, you've changed. Okay? Okay? You've changed. Okay? When the first child comes, you've changed. Okay? There's always this change going on, and you're always adapting. Why don't people change? They don't see the need to. They don't see the need. Now, understand, when you don't see the need to change, you're getting left behind. You're getting left behind. See, I'm getting left behind with my old computer. I mean, I know there's people out there faster than I am on the computer. Because I've got to sit there when I hit... Enter, I got to sit there for about a minute and a half, two minutes for that thing to finally wake up and do what I'm asking it to do. It's kind of slow, but it's 10 years old, and I hate to spend money on a new computer just to run new programs that are faster, you know. But I'm getting to a point I'm going to have to because I get all these other things interjecting with mine now. But, but if you don't change, you get left behind. See, my brother-in-law went and got him a new phone. With all these apps on it and everything. See? And I, and I still got this old phone. And my old phone won't do nearly what his new phone does. You know? But yet, if I want to catch up with the times, as they say, I gotta go and do what? Get a new phone. With all these apps, you know? They may not know how to work it, but at least I can say I got it, you know? <laughs> you know? But a lot of us don't change simply because we don't see the need to. And what we're saying, we're okay. We're okay. Hey. See, Elaine, she likes change. She likes new lamps. She likes new carpet. She likes new furniture. She likes a new kitchen set. She likes a new there. What's wrong with the old? Yeah. And, and, and that whole thing. See, I don't see a need sometimes for change, and she sees a need for change. And, and, and the battle in our lives with God 
is that sometimes we're saying to God, I'm okay, I don't need to change. And God says, oh, yes you do. You really do need to change. You need to change. And what does it take to change though? And, And you need to understand that again. What it really allows us to change is when we're honest with ourselves and we're willing to look at the facts. Why do you think God says all have sinned? What is God trying for all men to do? Look at themselves and to acknowledge that they are what? Sinners. God gives us the fact. And he even tells us, look at this, your immoral life. Look at your impure life. Look at your lying lips. Look at all that you do. And he says, boy, you're a sinner. That's the truth. Now understand, truth by itself will not change you. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So you can add up all the facts, and then you can deny it. And that's what a lot of us do. I'm not a sinner. And when you do that, you're comparing yourself with somebody else. There's the real sinner. I'm not. I'm pretty good. No. You need to really add up the facts and be truthful with yourself. See, I'll never forget when Larry brought a young man to us who was homeless about staying in the men's house. This young man would not really admit he was homeless. He had adapted so well of sleeping under the trees and in his little tent and having his little body odor and being unclean that he was not willing to make certain changes to go into a house with clean sheets and a bed and a place where he could shower and a place he could cook. But he had adapted so well and living out there in the woods by the railroad tracks out there, no fact with the police, he adapted so well, and even had his girlfriend with him. and they knew where to go get their showers at the haven of rest, so they could go over here and get a shower, and they could do this or do that. But he adapted so well that he refused the ability to improve himself. And some of us adapt so well in the mari clay and in the pig pen and in the filth of our lives that we refuse to accept God's help and move on up to a better life. Now, how many of you understand that at between December and January 1st, 80% of all fitness equipment is sold. Why is that? <laughs> We're making a New Year resolution. I'm going to lose weight next year. <laughs> and by March, that equipment is not being used anymore. <laughs> but 80% of fitness equipment is sold between December 15th and January 1st over a rule that somebody's made to themselves that I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to trim down. And they run out there and spend that money and, and do all this to change. And then in three months, it's just sitting there. 
cosmetic surgery. 10 million procedures the last couple of years. Every year, over 10 million procedures that people has gone under the knife with cosmetic change, trying to look beautiful, trying to make something change about themselves. And oftentimes it don't work. Oftentimes it don't work. We go get the tummy tuck and then nine months to a year, we wonder what happened to it. Change is a lot of hard work. And that's the area where we get stuck at. We have become accustomed to not sweating, not picking up anything heavy, not doing anything hard. Even in a lot of schools, we don't do math the way we used to with a pencil. We do it with the little calculator. Well, you're not learning anything with that. If that battery ran out and you really had a problem, at least I could dig down in the dirt and start writing in the dirt and figure out my problem. But We don't want to do anything hard. We don't want to do anything strenuous. We need help from others, and we don't want other people to help us. We don't want other people to tell us what to do. We don't want other people in our business. But when you mess up, the city, the county, the government, everybody get in your business. Even the big new journal gets in your business. And let everybody else know about your business. And if it's bad enough, you'll be on channel 5 or channel 3 or, or, or 19. The whole world gets to know a little bit about your business. We need help from other people if we're really going to change. And until a person's willing to accept help, they're not going to change. They're not going to change. In my life, a Mr. Beeler helped me. Mr. Beeler started helping me when I was in 10th grade. He started letting me work at Howard High School. And he began to teach me of what it was to be a janitor. And finally I worked my way and he recommended me for a job with the Board of Education as a part-time five-hour custodian. Ballard, a mailman, who was also a part-time, began to teach me the shortcuts about the job and so forth. People, you got to find people along the way who genuinely want to help you. Now, you're the one who got to make the choice. Will you allow them to help you? The sad part about us is that people who sincerely want to help us and see us do better, we kick them to the curb. And we set a lot of foolishness for guidance. People who have nothing can advise you the best. People going nowhere, you give them an ear. And to change, you need the help of others. And lastly, you definitely need the help and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to enable that change to take place. 
Now ask yourself, so some of you have been Christians for some time. Since you've accepted Jesus, what has changed the most in your life? What has changed the most in your life? Secondly, what has not changed in your life? That you know should change. You know you better than anybody else. You and the Lord. What is it in your life that you understand needs to change but you're not willing to let go of? And what has kept you from changing more? What's kept you from that change? Is it selfishness? Is it a lack of being able to humble yourself? Your pride? Is it the lack of information? Because a lot of people can't change because they don't have the correct information. Is it the environment that you think you're stuck in and you can't change because of your environment? That's a lie from Satan. You can change. But you're the one who has to figure out what has kept you from changing more in your life. What is it? And then you have to ask this question to yourself. Are you ready for change? See, some people are comfortable living on the plateau that they're in. One of my prayers is, even as a pastor or a preacher or whatever, I constantly been asking God, God, allow your word to be more in my mind and in my heart and teach me how to deliver it better. Now you say, well, you've been doing this so long, you ought to know how. No. Because this is a thing of the Lord. And there should be improvement in it. Are you really ready for change? Do you want change? Or are you satisfied where you are? Are you willing to accept the change God will make in your life? And that's what we fight often. And we're in a fight with God. God's trying to change something. I'm trying to say, no, Lord, I don't want to change in there. Lord, I'm satisfied right where I'm at. Lord, it's fearful for me to allow that change to take place in my life. Lord, I don't see it clearly yet. And most of the time when God wants to change in our life, you won't see it clearly. But that's where the trust comes in. That's where the faith comes in. But I also want to remind you now, 2 Corinthians 5.17, well, the Lord says, if any man again, you heard it last week, you're going to hear it again and again. If you're in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things of your life are doing what? And if that's not a reality in your life, most likely you're not really saved. You need to understand that principle. If things are not changing in your life, and you can't identify where God's working in your life, you're not, you're not born again. You made a profession of faith and you think you know God. The question is, does God really know you? That's the real question that has to be asked. Does God really know you? Yes, he knows you on the basis that you are his creation. But does he know you as a son, as a daughter? 
Does he know you as one of his priests? Does he know you as one of his saints? Do he know you as one that has been called by his name and washed in the blood of Christ? Does he know you from your repentance? Does he know you? Because a lot of people assume God knows them and he doesn't know them. And the evidence of that is simply this. Watch their behavior because see, every child in my home, they know their daddy. And they know a certain character about me and what I won't allow and what I won't stand for. But when you have people totally disrespecting the wishes and the commands of God, there will be a great big old question mark if they're really saved. Hey. And then secondly, Isaiah 45.9. Mark it down, read it, and go over it and over it again. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. Woe to him who wants to argue with God about the changes that God want to make in your life. You put yourself in a very dangerous position when you want to fight with God about a change. Just take it from a realistic perspective. Somebody in there watching TV, a son or a daughter, but you're the parent. And you are going to make a change in their life all of a sudden. You come do dishes. And they still sit in there. You come do dishes. They still sit in there. There's going to be a radical change in somebody's life. That's going to be painful and hurtful. And guess what? They're going to still do dishes. God will speak to us. The question is, are we willing to be obedient? And remember what he says, if you're willing to be obedient, and in Isaiah chapter 1, around that 18th verse and on down, if you're willing to be obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You will be blessed by the land. But it's conditioned on your obedience. He says, woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a posturate among the posturators on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Take that old play-doh and start forming it and shape it. See if it ever stops you and say, what are you doing with me in your hands? We're in God's hands. And God's going to shape us. God's going to mold us. God's going to make us. And who am I to say to God, get your hands off me. Especially when I understand I've been bought with a price. Now you let somebody try to tell you something you own for you to get your hands off of it. You let me try to tell you a car you paid for, a car you got the keys for, and I come and tell you, you can't drive it. Something you purchased, you went out and you bought it, and you like it. You want to wear it, and I tell you, you can't wear it. God has bought us with a price. And who am I to say to God, if he's bought me, he owns me, you can't do this. You can't change this in my life. I don't want you working on me. Get your hands off me. 
Who am I to say, Lord, what are you doing? It says, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Now, some of us think God doesn't have hands. Let me share something with you. He does. And he uses them. He molds and he shapes and he twists us up. He does things in our lives that sometimes bends us and we think we're going to break. But yet he's able to be very gentle with us also. With those same hands. In Isaiah 64a he says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Have you admitted that? Have you admitted that? See, what is a child saying when a child jerks away from an adult and says, You're not my dad. You're not my mom. What is the child saying? And most children who jerk away don't even understand, especially when they jerk away from an adult, they don't even have the power to sustain what they're doing because that adult can take them and pin them and hold them. That they can't do anything. And that's our God. He has the power and the strength to hold us where we can't do anything. And yet, we want to tell him to get his hands off of us. And he's our father. We are the clay. We are the children. We're the ones he's molding and shaping and he's working in. We are the works of his hands. As Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of who? By the grace of God. I am what I am only by the grace of God. Now understand this. You are what you are if you're an obedient child of God only by the grace of God. But understand this also. You are what you are by what you allow Satan to do in your life. Philippians 1 6 says, Bring, be in confidence, be in confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you, he's going to do what? He's going to, he's going to complete it. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to do it. Turn and let's go to Psalms 119.99. Because this is something that I think oftentimes we miss in this area of change. And yet we need to hear the psalmist. 119 is too long to go through, but I think this is one of the most critical areas that is stated for us. And oftentimes we don't really grasp it because we're just saying this is a young man. And we most of the time quote the area where uh, is the word of God that this young man is so excited about that cleanses his life and so forth. But I want you to come down to verse 99 and 119. And, and listen to what this young person is saying. He says, boy, I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more insight than all of those who are even older than me who can educate me. I have more insight. Why? Because he is willing to do something. He is willing to stay in the word. He says, I meditated on your statues. First, what is insight? Insight is the ability to see and understand clearly 
the nature of a problem, a nature of your situation. Oftentimes in our situations, we don't clearly understand them. But the only one who can give you clear insight to your present state is God. God will show you if you're falling or if you're going upward. God will reveal to you if you're making progress or if you're going backwards. God will reveal to you exactly where you are. Because, see, you might be right on the bridge of taking the next step and falling off the cliff. You might be on the very next step of going into financial ruins. Now, God has blessed. God has blessed. But I'm going to do this on my own now. I'm okay now, God. Leave me alone. Get back. And the whole process comes into that area. That God gives me insight if I stay in his word and I stay obedient to him. That I might understand my case, my life, my situation. And that every step I take, he then is directing and ordering my step. He said he gives me insight. Insight. That I might progress in this life. He gives me insight into my job situation. He gives me insight. And how to do this and how to do that. He gives me insight how to speak to this person and that person. He gives me insight how to handle this situation. He gives me insight how to handle my finances, how to invest, how to go over here and do this, how to build this. He gives me insight. He gives me clarity of sight that I might be a progressive individual that others may look at and say, how do they do that? We both got the same tools. We both have the same mentality and education. We both have basically the same, but yet this person is far ahead. Why? The insight that God has given. That they might understand. This young lady who was once coming to the church, this is some time ago. But God is so good. Because remember what God says? Nothing's done in secret. And whatever is done, he'll shout it from the housetop. We'd help this young lady, although she was on welfare. We showed her how she could begin to save money. And we started keeping her money. We put her on a budget. And within about eight months, we went out and paid cash for her car. Hey, and she got her car. And she was able to bring herself to church because she was living out in East Akron Projects. You know, and we kept working on that budget with her. And boy, she was doing good. And then all of a sudden, we started missing her. Now, you need to understand something. What draws you away from God? What draws you away from God's principles? What draws you away from God's blessings? You know, because we get to a place and all of a sudden we forget how we got there. God blessed us to get there. God opened up doors for us to get there. God cleared the road for us to get there. God filled in the potholes that we wouldn't have to hit. God is the one who allowed us and directed us and gave us favor in the lives of people. And now all of a sudden, I hit a certain plateau and plane. And see, she got this young man into her life. And I called her one evening to see what's going on. Oh, it's just been this, this, and that. 
But when she hung up the phone, she forgot to take the speakerphone part off. So I'm hearing this other voice now. You know, I'm hearing all this stuff, you know. And God gave insight. God gave clarity. So oftentimes we think we're beating somebody up. What you do in the dark, God will bring to the light. And everything God will give you, God will take. Because within a couple of weeks from that point, that boy took her car. They got in an argument. The boy took her keys and he had an accident on Exchange Street in Arlington. Tore the car up. Now all the money you saved, all that you invested, all that you did, you allow some fool to mess up your blessings. And that's what we usually do in life. We allow some fool to step into our life and rob us of our blessings, not seeing that Satan has sent that person alone. And that's where discernment comes in. Because if you don't have discernment and really use it and really ask yourself this, is this according to God's will? Everything God has gave you, you can lose it that quick. Because of disobedience. The other is statues. The word statue in the NIV and King James is testimony. They are establishing the facts. A statue stands there, no matter what the wind does, no matter what takes place. That statue is there, unmovable. It's there. Do you understand that's God's word? It's unmovable. It's there. And though in the word, it establishes God's testimony. And it's not going to change for you and I. It's a declaration of what God says. And God will not change it for you or for, or for me. And he says, Lord, I have insight because I look into your testimonies and I follow them. I follow them. I follow them. He goes on and he simply says, in John eight thirty two, then you will know the truth. Now, take that word no right off the bat. No. You're going to know. Because God's not going to keep you where at? In darkness. God understands you can't change without knowing truth. You have to know truth. You have to know truth about yourself. You have to know truth about those that are around you. You got to know truth about your environment. You got to know truth about finances. You got to know truth about relationships. You got to know truth. Oftentimes in our relationships, we got two people lying to each other. I love you and don't even know each other. I'm going to take care of you. Can't take care of me. How am I going to take care of you? And this whole process, he says, I'm going to let you know truth. Why? You cannot make good, sound decisions without truth. And change ought to always be based on good, sound decisions, on facts. And he says, I'm going to let you know the truth. Now, the second part of that is simply this here. If you really acknowledge the truth, the truth will set you free from whatever is holding you bondage. 
The truth will set you free from whatever's keeping you back from making progress. The truth will set you free and bring you out of the mire clay, bring you out of the pig pen, bring you out of a difficult situation. But you have to acknowledge the truth. If you don't acknowledge truth about yourself, you stay in the same situation. You always go through life struggling from one struggle to another struggle. The other night I was watching TV and the guy made a, it was one of these old cowboys, and the guy made this statement to this Mexican guy. He said, I thought you was going back to Mexico to lead a rebellion, to set the people free, that the people would be free. Listen to what the guy said from Mexico. He said, I went back to Mexico and I understood as long as people are trying to survive, they don't care about freedom. So Satan keeps us pinned up in our sin, in our misery, and we're trying to just survive, not understanding God wants to set us free. But as long as my first choice is just survival, that's what I'm going to struggle with. Not understanding God wants to set me free so I can run, so I can move forward, I can progress. He says, you will know the truth. In Romans 1.25, he says, and this is what we do now. We exchange the truth for a lie. We had changed the truth for a lie. God says don't do something. We make an excuse and we believe that lie that Satan gave us in the excuse in order that we might do what we want to do. Not understanding what we do against God brings us into captivity under Satan. And we choose to believe that lie. We choose to believe that lie that my life will be better with this. And God says no it won't. Let it go. Cut it loose. Get out of that situation. Move on from there. And I'm saying, nope. I've just chosen to believe a lie over God. When you substitute God's word with your own rationale, you've chose to believe a lie over God telling you the truth. And when you choose to believe a lie, you just open the door for Satan to begin to rob your joy, to rob your peace, to rob your security, to rob you of everything of the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. Because we forget Satan comes to steal and to rob and to kill. He didn't come to bless. He didn't come to give us an inheritance. He came to steal our inheritance. He came to steal our blessing. He came to become a block between us and God. And he simply says, Boy, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Not that they didn't know truth. So when it comes to those gays and all that, they know truth. But they choose to believe a lie. Even about themselves. And the greatest lie that Satan has sold them on, God made me this way. Look at yourself. God didn't make no mistake. In 2 Thessalonians, let's go to that one. 2 Thessalonians. 
Because here we refuse to love the truth. And when you're somebody who will not desire truth, God will not give you truth. Because God recognized you are in love with that which is a lie. And that you're living in a world that is a delusionary world. You're living in a make-believe world that's just going to crumble on you. That's going to fall down on you. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 He says, And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now, I understand he's talking about who? The unbeliever. Understand that. But understand this. There are times that the unbeliever acts like, the believer acts like who? The unbeliever. There's times that the believer acts like the unbeliever. We have the choice to act like Christ, have the mind of Christ, or we can have the mind of the flesh and act like Satan in rebellion against God. He says, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now, now, mark that word deceive. Because, see, in order for Satan to take from you, he has to deceive you. Satan has to lie you. He has to sell you, as they would say, a bill of goods. And Satan is the father of lies. But he has to deceive you. He, he has to make you believe that what God has said is not correct. And what you're doing is going to make you happier than if you were to do it God's way. He has to deceive you. He has to trick you. He has to lie to you. And he goes on and he says, They perish because they refuse to love the truth. Now again, the truth will set you free. Now, hear what he said. They refuse to love the truth. Did they know the truth? Yes. But they refuse not to what? Embrace the truth. They refuse not to follow the truth. They refuse to, re- to, to reject the truth rather than receive it. And it says... They didn't love it. They didn't embrace it. They didn't want it. And he says, they're perishing. You can be losing when you think you're moving ahead. How many of you have ever saved, and when you turn around and look at your savings, it's nowhere near what you may have thought it should be? And though you try to make a habit of doing it, it's going nowhere. If you are one of God's children, you follow his financial principle, then it becomes God's responsibility to make your money grow. And therefore, when times take place in your life, guess what? You have it because God has provided it. It's right there. Not an overabundance, but right there. 
what you have need of. It's there. And when you go into verse 11, he says, For this reason God sends them. Now this is the fearful part. Remember, who's going to fight with their maker? Who's going to fight with God? It's a dangerous position to be in. Even for a Christian, I believe that this can take place based on this fact. You are so rebellious against God. He's disciplining, he's disciplining, he's disciplining. But you will not turn. You're going to become like Israel. You're going to become stiff-necked, hard-headed. And the only thing he can do with you is send you into captivity. And let you die there in, in captivity. Israel was still Israel even when they were sent into captivity. Israel was still Israel when they died out in the desert after 40 years. Israel was still Israel. And yet God allowed that to happen to them. Could God have made them go into the promised land? He could have. But what God is looking for is obedient children, not children he have to make them obey. So he comes right back in that verse 11. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. If you want to believe the lie so bad over God's truth, eventually God gives you even a delusion or the ability to believe that lie. And that's where you're at. That's the danger point, I think. In being in rebellion against God. And fighting with your maker. That at some point, God says, I'm just going to turn you over to that because you want it so bad. And you will not embrace my truth. You will not love my truth. You will not follow my truth. And I know this was talking about those who are already perishing. I know that this was talking about unbelievers. But my God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And if I take the example of what he did with Israel and bring it over here, and we can say, well, we under grace and Israel was not. We're under Christ and, and they were not. God, I don't care which economy you're under, God will not tolerate sin. And we've come to a point believing I can be saved and go out here and sin all I want to sin. And God won't do a thing about it. Yes, he will. And it's high time for the people of God to recognize you're not going to mock God. You're not going to laugh at God. You're not going to scorn God. And you're not just going to go and do anything you want to do when a holy, righteous God says no. I love my children, but I'll put them out of the house just as quick as can be. I love my children, and I want them to do well. But they become defiant, rebellious. They're still my child, but they're gone. Inheritance is gone. Blessings is gone. Help is gone. In John 8.44 it tells us that Satan is the father of all lies. And a lot of the times we want to believe Satan more than we want to believe God. Because Satan tells us a lie that satisfies the flesh. Satan is very quickly to agree with us. And he gives us 
what we want to hear. He gives us what we're going to enjoy for the season, for the moment. Knowing the entrapment that he's placed us in. And it says, even of Satan, when you go check out 844, it said that Satan himself would not hold to the truth. Not that he didn't have truth, but he wouldn't hold to it. And here is an angel that would not hold to the truth. And Jesus said, he saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Why didn't God take time and reason with him and talk with him and try to change him? Why? He knew truth. To whom much is given, much is required. Change is about accepting truth. Excuses, I can't do anything about it. That's that's a human excuse. Yes, you can. There are situations that you find yourself in, you can get yourself out of. You can walk away from. You can say goodbye to. But you make all kinds of excuses. Well, they help me pay the rent. They buy me this. They do that. God says, I'll take care of you. Question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Well, she satisfied me. She's good. She's this. She's that. Lord, you can't do what she'd do to me. Try him. Because the only thing you're doing is trying to satisfy self. God is able to satisfy us if we allow him. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. Understand what Paul says. His grace is more than sufficient for me. I don't care what the circumstances, what the situation might be. God's grace is more than sufficient. Oftentimes I say, boy, at this time of life, boy, if something happened to her, what would I do? God is more than gracious. If something happened to me, God would take care of Elaine. He's more than gracious. And one day that's going to happen. That's just the reality about life. But my God is more than able. And you've got to believe that. And you've got to hold to that. That God is more than able to keep you. And meet all that you have need of. If God reveals it, you can do something about it. Because a lot of us know when we're wrong, don't we? A lot of us know when we're not making progress. A lot of us know when we're not growing. A lot of us know when we're not handling our finances correctly. A lot of us know when our mouths are saying the wrong thing. A lot of us know when we're feeling the wrong thing. A lot of us know when hatred is in there and anger is in there and bitterness is in there. A lot of us know that, but the question is, what are we doing about it? Change by rules are a human way of dealing with change, and it never works. It never works. See, our way of dealing with somebody that really upset us, we try to stay out their way. We don't want to be in the same room with them. Guess what God says do? Go reconcile with your brother and sister. I don't want to do that, God. Hey, hey. God says, boy, even that one 
that you may not care for a lot. Guess what God's asked you to do? To esteem and to exalt that one better than yourself. But that takes a lot of change in me to exalt that other person that I don't care for. And God says, exalt that person. Lift them up. Think of them more than you would think of yourself. Value them more than you would even value yourself. Lord, you don't know what they did to me. How many of you understood what you did to Christ? And yet he values you to a point that he gave up his riches and became poor that you might become rich. Boy, what a God we serve. Change by human rules is always some way that we're going to change that yet it never happens. You ever notice how many times you promise yourself you're going to change and it didn't happen? Because you did not allow God to establish the change in your life. You're trying to make yourself good or better without God. Knowing truth brings us brings about change. But truth has to be a reality. Is this really me? Is this really my life? Is this really what I'm doing? Is this really where my heart is? And you have to deal with that. No longer are you going to deny the truth. And you're the one who has to come to that place. I will not deny the truth. As much as Elaine and I love each other, but if one of us come to a point that we don't want to be with the other, eventually one of us got to accept that as truth. If not, we're trying to live a lie. You can never make a person love you. God even recognized that. That's why he says, if you love me, you will demonstrate it by this, keeping my commandments. You will demonstrate your love. Because God knows he can't make you love him. If he made you love him, it would be a, nothing but a puppet and wouldn't be real. And God is to that point where he says, boy, if you love me, you'll keep my word. You won't deny it. And see, truth is something too many of us deny. We're hurting. We're suffering. We have no finances. We are bankrupt individuals. Our lives are in the ruins. Our lives is in the mire clay. Our lives is just being blown up by Satan. But I'm okay. I hate this today. I'm blessed. And I look at some folks and I say, I don't want to be blessed like you do. I don't, I don't want your blessings. But we've come up with a saying that we're even lying to each other. Now you might be saying, yeah, I'm blessed I just woke up this morning. But when you look at the totality of your life, are you really blessed? Hey. And he says... The other part, when you don't deny truth, how many of you tried to run away from it? And it just keeps coming back. You can't outrun truth. All you can do is accept truth 
and begin to deal with it. Just knowing truth will not change you. It will change you if you accept it and then begin to follow its direction. Because when God speaks truth to us, God will have in that truth some direction, some directive that he's going to give you. And you have to be willing to follow the directive in that truth. Because just knowing truth, a lot of people know truth, but they don't follow it. They don't follow it. And they wonder why their lives are not being blessed. They wonder why they're not making progress. They wonder why they're not improving. You have the knowledge of truth, but you're not performing it. You're not living it. You're not following it. You're not allowing it to have control over your life. Go to Ephesians 6 and verse 14. Ephesians 6 and verse 14. He says, Stand firm. When you know truth, you have the ability just to stand. I don't care what you're facing. When you know truth, you can stand there. No matter what comes against you. It enables you to stand. And face whatever comes against you. Because truth will always prevail. Truth will always make you an overcomer. Truth will always cause you to be successful. Truth will always place you, catch this now, truth, when you acknowledge truth and do what is right in God's sight, it will always place you in the right place. And the right place is where God wants you to be. When you follow truth, When you accept truth, it causes you to stand right where God wants you to be. It goes on and it says, Stand firm then with the belt of what truth buckled around your way. Just stand. But what are you standing with? Truth. You're not denying it. You're not running away from it. You're not trying to work around it. You're dealing with it just by standing and performing. Romans 3 and verse 4. Romans 3. Look what he says. Not at all. Let God be true in every man alive. Have you concluded that in your mind? That when God speaks to me, that's going to be the truth. I'm not going to accept what man says. I'm going to believe what God says. God speaks. Because God wants you to know truth. Because he understands you can't grow without truth. You can't progress without truth. You can't do what is right without truth. We need truth. And God says, I'm not a liar. I'm not a liar. Am I a man that I should lie? No. In Romans 7.18, you find Paul struggling with this issue. And Paul says, the will to change is present. It's there. Now, what I want you to really look at is Paul being a Pharisee. And Paul struggling with his old life. 
And Paul had to come to this conclusion too. And he understood God was changing him. Understand, the moment Paul got knocked down on Damascus Road, Paul just didn't go right into the area of apostle and start teaching. Paul had to learn some, and Paul had to spend some time for God to prepare him. Because Paul had been a self-righteous Pharisee. And God had to knock all that junk out of his life to get him to where he wanted him to be. God had to reteach Paul, even though he was taught by one of the greatest professors of his kind, Gamaliel. Oh, he held the law, and he knew the law. God had to rewrite, rewind, redo his mind. God had to do something in Paul before he could set Paul loose. When you spend time with God, and you spend time in God's word, God will re. Work your mind, your thinking. But you got to be in the book. You got to be in the book and let God do it. If you're not in the book, you're leaning on your own understanding. But if you're in the book, you're feeding from what God is giving you and you're going to perform as the Word directs. Because you're in the book. And, and in that verse 18, let's go to it there, 718. He says, let me get down here. I know that nothing good lives in me. So he came to that conclusion. Now thinking of, as a Pharisee, Paul would have never said that as a Pharisee. Remember how the one Pharisee stood in there praying with the prophet? He, he's praying, Lord, I thank you I'm not like this man. Lord, I've done this. Lord, I've done that. See, I've kept the law. I've done all these things right. That would have been like a picture of Paul. But when God begins to deal with you, you understand that there's nothing good in you. And he goes on and he says, That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desires to do what is good. Catch that. I have this strong desire to do what is good. I want to do good. I want to do better. But I can't. Unless I yield to God. I can't unless I yield to God. And therefore, Paul recognizes that. In and of himself, there's no good thing. Paul recognizes he can't change himself. That's why in verse 24, Paul comes up with this conclusion. Look what Paul says about himself after adding the facts up about his life. What a wretched man I am. Oh, what a wretched man I am. After looking over his life, I want to change. I want to do right. I want to make these changes. But God, I can't do it in and of myself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who do you, who do you think brought him to those conclusions? Who do you think talked to him about his life? Who do you think allowed Paul to see himself? But what God is trying to get you and I to do is to admit what we can't do and let him do. Let him empower us to do. Change has to be substance. It has to be real. It has to have the ability to endure. Why? The moment you make up in your mind to change, Satan's going to fire every fiery dark he can at you. 
Satan's going to put everything in the way to cause you to stumble. Satan's going to come to you in forms of different people as angels of light, and they're going to be deceptive. Satan's going to bring people into your life that you think are your friends, people who think that they want to help, but in reality they don't. Only thing they want to see you do is fall. That old saying is still true. Misery loves company. You need to understand and grasp that point. Satan will challenge every change in your life. And John 10.10, 10, he comes to rob, he comes to steal, he comes to do those things. He comes to take from you. Go real quick, let's see if we can end up here, we're close to the end. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Chapter 1 and verse 3. You need to understand, what is he coming after? He says, praise be to God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. What is Satan coming to rob from you? Every spiritual blessing. What is Satan trying to block? Every spiritual blessing. What is God, what is Satan trying to steal from you? Everything that God has blessed you with. If you let him, he'll steal your children. See, Satan has no shame how low he'll go. He'll wreck your marriage. Satan will do anything to keep you from serving the Lord. You need to understand that. He's a robber. He's a thief. And he'll even come at night to mess you up. Ephesians 1, 14. Look at the 14th verse. He says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? What is Satan coming to rob? Your inheritance. He knows if you really are a child of God, you have an inheritance. What does Satan want you to want to keep you from spending? or getting involved in, is your inheritance. You're rich and don't even know it. You're financially stable and don't even know it. You already have everything you have need of, but don't even know it. Because it's all in Jesus Christ. And when you're a child of God, you're no longer responsible for yourself. God is responsible for you. And David said, I've never seen a child of God begging for bread. Ephesians 5, 6. How Satan steals from us. He says, in that 5, 6, he simply said, let no one deceive you. Now he got to be talking to Christians. Don't be deceived here. With empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are, what? Disobedient. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived here. And he's having to be talking to believers about don't be deceived. Can't be talking to non-believers because they're already, what? Deceived. He says, don't be deceived here. Now look what he says in 8. For you were once in darkness. That's where you once were. Don't live there now. 
When Satan comes into your life trying to bring that darkness and trying to hide you, I'm a child of God. I live in the light and I'm not ashamed of what I do and I'm going to let everybody see what I do. I'm not ashamed of it. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live that way. Live in the light. Live as the children of light. Now go back up into verse 5 with me. For this you cannot, you can be sure of. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such as man is an idolater and, and has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Doesn't have any inheritance. You have to understand something. The Holy Spirit is there to dispense your inheritance. Just like a lawyer in a trust fund who dispenses your little funds to you that have been left to you. The Holy Spirit is there to dispense your inheritance to you. The Holy Spirit is there to dispense the blessings of God to you. It's the Holy Spirit there that is there to give you every blessing under earth that you have need of. The only thing that blocks it is your disobedience and your willingness to live in a lie. Let's close out with Acts 4 and 5. Just give me about five more minutes. When you look at this, hopefully you'll see it. Because I never saw it until I was dealing with this, how God puts it back to back. How he deals with the end part of chapter 4 and then how he brings in chapter 5. Because if you take the two comparisons there of these two lives, you see something very different. You see something gigantically different. In chapter 4, in the last part, he's talking about Barnabas. And he says, what's taking place? And we know about the famine that was taking place in Jerusalem. But let's pick up in verse 12 for a moment. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. So they had turned everything over to who? Over to God. All that I possess and all that I own, it belongs to God. It's not mine. But I want you to understand this. As they gave, and I'm going to show you a scripture too. I believe they gave out of their excess. Out of their extra. Not out of what they had need of. So when God asks you to give and even give sacrificially, he's not asking you to give out of what is necessary for you to live. Because he's already promised you that. And we'll see that in scripture in a moment. It says, boy, first of all, they recognized that everything was owned by God. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. And much grace was upon them all. In their obedience, what it says, much grace. God's favor was upon them. Because they were being obedient to God. There was great grace there. There was God's favor in their life. There's God's anointing in their life. There's God's working in their life. There's God's supplying in their life. God protecting them in their life. God meeting every need they have of in their life. Much grace. Much grace. 
was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Boy, underline that. Though you're being persecuted, though there are people who hate you, though there are people who want to take everything you belong, that belong to you, it says there was not one needy person among them. Why? God's doing the providing. God's providing. And it goes on a little further. He said, For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite named Cyprus, from, from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, catch, he sold a field he owned. It didn't say it was his house per se or the things that was necessary for him, but he had extra and he sold it. Now, come into verse, chapter 5, and you see another individual who acts just the opposite. And oftentimes, we find ourselves right there too. The misuse of God's blessing. The misuse of God's grace. The misuse of God's call on our life. The misuse of the shed blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. The misuse of God's word and truth and knowledge that he's given to us. That we misuse that which God gives us and somehow want to say, I'm blessed. No, you're not. Misuse of it. We do not misuse what God has blessed us with. We do not misuse the blood of Christ. We do not misuse our salvation. We do not neglect our salvation. We don't take advantage of God's grace. We don't try to mock God and misuse Him as somebody as a butler or somebody we call on and does magic tricks for us. He is God, a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, a merciful God, a forgiving God. Don't abuse that. Don't abuse it. Don't abuse His loving kindness. And he says, Ananias, gathered with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Also sold. Also letting you know, the guy just above what he did. Then he comes on down. With his wife, in full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Now somewhere, him and God had entered into some type of an agreement. Somewhere in prayer, Ananias may have said, Lord, if you allow me to sell this land for this amount of money, oh Lord, if you allow me to just do this, then Lord, I'll bring it all over and just give it to you. God would have never expect him to give it all if that was not the agreement. But once you enter into a covenant with God, God expects you to keep it. He tells us, don't vow if we're not going to keep the vow in Numbers 30. And he comes to this place with us and he says with Ananias, Boy, with his wife, full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what is he doing? God, you accept this. This is what I want to give. This is what I want you to have. Take whatever 
I'm giving you, God, and be happy. God's not going to be happy with your crumbs. God's not going to be happy with your leftovers. God ain't going to be happy with you giving him five minutes, but you can give everything else all kind of time. Most of us can't pray past three minutes. Most of us can't stand to be in the Word over 15, 20 minutes. We give God all our leftovers. We give God what we don't want. We give God exactly what we want Him to have. But God says, don't bring no blemished lambs to me. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, been washed in the blood of Christ. Been renewed in mind and heart. And not an individual conforming to the things of this world. And he goes on, he said, Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has filled your heart? Now,